Hey there, everybody. Are you excited to work on this new film, Merlin the Return? As oh. excited as I am, anyway. Oh, man, I'm so excited. I don't even remember what we did for Merlin. So it's exciting to do the return because my mar- it's like a mind wipe spell happened to me. And I love fantasy, so this is going to be great. That's great. Yeah, well, you don't really need to know anything. Oh, perfect. Right. Well, let's hear it. Yes. Well, I was thinking about taking the Arthurian legends. Love it. Merlin is a character from those. I've heard of this Merlin guy. He's something of a wizard, I believe. And he's popular. That's right. And he works with King Arthur. Mm Mm-hmm, right. And King Arthur's lovely wife, Guinevere. Oh. Yes. And I was also thinking it could be interesting if Merlin had some romantic interest in Arthur's wife, Guinevere. But isn't Merlin, like, really old? Not this time. He's young and available. Oh, that's strange. Why are we doing that? So he can be interested in Guinevere, Arthur's wife. Oh, that makes sense. Like Lancelot. And there's this little boy named Richie. Do we even <laughs> need children in this plot? Uh, probably like two little children living their best life. Like I never, uh, yeah, yeah, we should have kids in it. Oh, okay. I guess it would open it up to the family demographic. Yeah, people love family movies, especially families. Yeah, and maybe someone could get that childhood they never... Yeah, I just think it would be fun. Yeah, that seems nice. This sounds good. Let's get to work on it. fantasy fans and welcome to swords and satire the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art i'm your dungeon manager jamie mogul here with my chivalric co-hosts i'm chelsea hollowell a sorcerer supreme who's really popular on taco tuesdays do you conjure tacos I conjure the supreme aspect of tacos, so guacamole and sour cream. Wow, the magical spice hurts more than I can describe. It's (laughs) metaphysically spicy. (laughs) It hurts your soul, but it nourishes your body. It's a form of psychic damage. It's necromance. (laughs) That would be appropriate to this movie. Yeah. It would? Psychic damage. Oh. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Jack Olander, an elderly British woman who uh, just crashes her car into lots oh, of historical figures. my God. Oh, you got to stop running into Abraham Lincoln. Look, <laughs> I didn't know that turning right on Main Street would lead to the balcony of a theater, all right? It wasn't my fault. I just hit Lincoln with my truck. Grandma goes hard. I didn't know you're not supposed to have tea in one hand, a biscuit in another hand while driving. All right. I mean, (laughs) that seems like it would be the British way. Yes. Well, obviously, we are all very excited to begin talking about this week's movie, which is a patron voted, patron selected film. That's right. 
And you could become a patron and get the ability to vote on a movie if you go over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and sign up to be one of our supporters today. Seems like a great plan to me. That's how we keep the torches lit here at Castle Satire. And we also provide extra exclusive content for every tier now, too. You will get to hear all of the wild outtakes from uh, episodes just like this one, where we completely go off the rails and then Chelsea uses her audio magic to make the episode sound like we're not absolutely grasping at straws. And they're pretty funny. I'm cackling the entire time I'm constructing those. (laughs) Can confirm. (laughs) But anyways, this week we will be talking about Merlin Returns. Isn't it Merlin the Return? You know what? There are so many versions of these Merlin movies. It's so confusing. I thought we were watching Merlin with Sam Neill. Turns out that's a show. Yep. I had no idea. And then we were having trouble finding the right movie to watch because there are so many versions of it. Listen, I put together a list of a variety of Arthurian movies for our Arthur month in honor of the Green Knight. For our 100th episode. And I tried to pick a movie from four different, or movies from four different decades, and this was the 2000s movie that I could find. Wait, this is from 2000s? Yeah. Oh, by the gods. (laughs) So this is a South African-made film that is supposed to be set in Britain, where King Arthur's from. But, you know, before uh, I get too far gone here, I think Chelsea has a summary ready to go. Okay, guys, I have an urban legend to talk to you about. An urban legend? Yeah. Have you heard about those cursed movies? No. Tell us about the cursed films. (laughs) (laughs) So, this movie is cursed. Is it? Yeah. The, actually, the disc. So, sorry to all of you who uh, may have already watched it. You're going to be caught in the director Paul Matthews' fever dream. So, what happens is you put the disc in or you watch the movie. We watched a movie? <laughs> and you end up getting sucked into the unholy fever dream that is Merlin the Return and you go into the netherworld and you never come back out again. You know, this explains and, a lot about my last week. And it haunts your dreams. Mm-hmm, yep. You will never stop seeing Merlin in his tidy whities Yes. At the end of the film, when you turn off your TV and you look around and you see that you're in the nether realm. And Hurt by Nine Inch Nails is playing in the background as it, the camera oh, zooms out. I like that song. Yeah, it's a good one. So in this fever dream, there's a convoluted story about how Mordred has has an army of his own and he's defeated Arthur and his knights. But Merlin had banished Mordred and his troops to the netherworld along with Mordred's mother, Arthur's sister, Morgan Le Fay. And with Arthur and all of the knights of the round table, too. Well, he Merlin put them all to sleep. And he was going to awaken them should Mordred return to this realm. The mortal realm. <laughs> then why are they all in the netherworld with uh, Mordred? I don't know. 
And just for the listener's perspective, the netherworld, which is a, a, a bad place, is, is it? It's it's a cave where all the farts in the world go to. Yeah, but it also has like a, a water slide and like some fun decorations. That's also from all the farts. I and, hate to say. And the upgrade to this movie is the smell of vision version where you get to oh. smell all the farts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but come on, guys. Water slide. Yeah, it's pretty fun. So uh, Mordred is working with a scientist in the mortal world, Dr. Joan Maxwell. Played by celebrity uh, actor Tia Carrera. Yes. From Wayne's World. 90s hot girlfriend. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) If 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 it was the 90s and somebody needed a hot girlfriend in a movie... Tia was the go-to. And she always had a snake on her shoulders. Nice. She did? <laughs> she did in Wayne's World. Oh, okay. That's awesome. But, uh, so she and Mordred are working together to try to bring him through, and he's supposed to, like, use his magic to help her do science better? It's unclear. Mm-hmm. No, that sounds right to me. I guess it checks out. What is science if not magic? Or what is magic if not science that we haven't explained yet? I don't know where I was going with this. So uh, Merlin brings <laughs> Arthur and his knights and Guinevere back to awake to fight against Mordred. And um, in the end, Merlin faces off against Mordred on his own and um, has got him on the ropes with their magic battle. And uh, then Arthur just yeets him by throwing Excalibur into his uh, into Mordred's chest. Whoa. And so we're just going to skip the entire subplot with the kids, huh? And then there's also this strange subplot where there's like these demon children that are just <laughs> kind of there. Those kids are demons? They will haunt your dreams. <laughs> I feel like at least in the eyes of the filmmaker, those children were very important to the plot. They didn't need to be there. <laughs> I think they might be demonic because he's American. Perhaps. That's very dangerous. Like a demon. Was Richie deeply violent? They gave him a ranged weapon. Hmm, Something Americans have proficiency with. That could control earthquakes, and he was going to use it on Merlin. <laughs> I think it, I don't think it <laughs> control earthquakes. I think it counter, it like that's had a frequency what, for earth magic. That's what Dr. Joan Maxwell said. <laughs> it messes with the earth's magnetism, which causes an earthquake, which disrupts Merlin's magic. Jamie, I mean, it's science. <laughs> I mean, that's... I get it. That makes sense. I mean, Merlin is a druid. Yeah. So as with his earth-based magic, which they point out in the film, it makes perfect sense. So <laughs> And they- you guys know my policy, right? The, the most important rule that I always tell everybody? Tell us. Never piss off the druids. You have been oh, saying yeah. that for like around 10 years, I think. That's right. We always leave our offerings to the druids. Well, how else would the sun come up in the morning? Exactly. (laughs) So, in the end, Merlin and crew have taken the doctor captive. And Merlin and his knights, along with Guinevere, are going to travel to another realm to conquer it. And they're they're abducting the doctor to go with them. And then uh, Gwyn gets kind of (laughs) uncomfortable with her about all of this. 
Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yike! So uh, uh, they, the the uh, the Gowan in this film is not nearly as charismatic as the one from the last movie we watched. And that's saying something. So that's about it. How could he be so disrespectful to our queen, Guinevere, who is perfect and beautiful? Now that we've passed the curse on to our listeners, I think we can go into the delve. <laughs> Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Merlin, colon, the return. Merlin's colon returns? That was a different movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, something fun to talk about to start out with is the pseudoscience in the movie. Pseudoscience? What do you mean? So, like, they tried to explain so many things with science... (laughs) (laughs) The broad concept of science. Yeah. Like, Dr. Maxwell talks about Merlin's power coming from the Earth's magnetic core. Yep. That sounds accurate. That's why her device that emits electromagnetic waves will mess with his magic. It'll, like, backfire it. Yeah. It will make him explode, as it were. You know, like the Earth. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like a volcano effect, like a reverse volcano. Yeah, it's like when you touch a magnet to the ground and lava starts coming out. Yeah, exactly. She also explains that Mordred and she have a pact, and that's why she's helping him come through. And he's supposed to help her be a better scientist or like help her just pursue her scientific projects without rules. Yeah, there's actually a great line that I really like that Dr. Maxwell says, which is that science shouldn't have rules, which um, a lot of a lot of implications bound up in that statement. Yeah. Well, there's a brutal dictator that's trying to take over who's like, yeah, I'll let you have science with no rules. Right. And yet in this film, Mordred is... Probably the most charismatic person in the entire film. It is hard not to root for him and his crazy undead summoning uh, dark magics. Not going to lie. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Oh, I thought he was sort of like like an incel. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, I don't care for that reading at all. (laughs) Oh, yes. I thought he seemed sort of. Uh, oh, he seemed sort of I- entitled. Did you not get that? I mean, oh, not yes. see that? he's fighting a king. Like, come on. Yeah. To me, it seemed like he felt like he should be in charge. And that was the reason he was doing this whole thing. Like, wait, who are we talking about? Mordred. Oh, OK. It just seems <laughs> anybody like- in the film, really. <laughs> All right. Well, Mordred, it doesn't seem like we never get an idea of really what his plan is that his henchmen can get behind. It's true. He just uh, I, the only thing I could put together was that he wanted to defeat Arthur and mm-hmm. steal his girlfriend. Um <laughs> Oh, I don't like that at all. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and because he said once Arthur and his knights were defeated before Merlin, like, did all of his magic to them to put the knights to sleep and to banish Mordred to the netherworld, 
to the nethers. <laughs> Mordred said, I have your queen. She's mine now. And it's like, what are you talking about, dude? I mean, granted, he was trying to use Guinevere to get Excalibur, but also he, like, has this whole spiel about how he, like, used Lancelot and Guinevere's infidelity to get Excalibur. Yeah. But then he just, like, when he goes to Earth or he tries to, like, come through the portal, he leaves the sword in a place where Arthur can just go get it. Not a good plan. Here, here's my theory. There was no script. (laughs) And each day they just had loose pieces of paper that they handed out to different actors. (laughs) One of them just says, Excalibur? Question mark? Each one had questions that the actor had to answer about their character. Guinevere in face paint? And then they all just had to run with it, and they were all improving the entire You know what? If that's true, then fucking kudos to the entire team. <laughs> I think it would have just been, like, I just imagine the writer looking at a piece of paper every day that says Merlin and Arthur kiss with a question mark. <laughs> he just stares at it for, like, an hour before crumbling it up and going, no, that's crazy. I'm sorry to say they were not brave enough no. to do that in this film. They came close many times, but the toxic masculinity kept them apart. Yes. Yeah. That's sad. I'll say it seems a lot like Mordred is leading with the might makes right sort of mentality. Like the fact that he is strong enough to oppose Arthur is just what is rallying people behind him. I guess so. Because it doesn't seem like he gives any motivational speeches or like mentions any policies, right? Yeah. I mean, people seem to follow him just because he's the most powerful, but I do want to say that maybe he's if, a great leader. Maybe he's a man of the people. One of the um, only things that I liked about him was that he was an equal opportunity employer. He had males <laughs> and females. Uh, in his in guard. his death squad, yeah. <laughs> as his suicide people, yeah. He's Except, very progressive. He's got female death troopers, yeah. Except um, they fall short in the uh, race category because they're all white. Well, yes, this is a very white film, and because it was filmed in South Africa, I um don't care for that. Yeah. Uh-oh. I mean, I don't care for that no matter where it was filmed. Right. But uh-oh. Yeah. But uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like Mordred mostly goes around, and I saw him just intimidating his troops to keep following him. Yeah, he does sacrifice that woman to create the ghost spirit. They're all women. All of the people lining up. See, this is how they're second class citizens and how toxic masculinity can breed misogyny. Yeah, yeah. Because um, all of the people that were lining up who had to give their lives to help him get break through the portal were all of his female guards. Hmm. Or concubines. Oh, yeah. They have, like, the harem inside the netherworld, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Mordred's kind of built himself up a cushy life in the netherworld. Merlin didn't, like, encase him in amber or anything. He's just like, ah, you guys just go do your thing. Well, this is how the toxic, another way that the toxic masculinity of the film goes along with misogyny. Because Merlin is the one who banished all of Mordred and his people to the netherworld. And Merlin saw fit to send his harem with him. 
He couldn't set those women free? Well, I mean, are they guilty by association? I mean, we don't know if like maybe they changed careers and like political systems when they got to the netherworld. We don't know the whole they story. They have been there for over a thousand years. Yeah. I mean, things change. I guess so. <laughs> you know, our roles in society change. You're lightsabering quite a bit there, though. If we go with the text of the film, Merlin thought that those women have no autonomy and that their identity is tied to Mordred's. That's fair. And that they are just doomed along with him. Like he owns them or something. Merlin could have set them free. Yeah, I don't get the sense that this Merlin is um, particularly competent or useful in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. What we know about Merlin in the film is that he is a wizard slash druid weird multi-classing by the way intelligence and wisdom your spell slots are gonna stack in a weird way not a great combo but i digress he has sent arthur and the knights into this place to like guard over mordred and everything doing a terrible job by the way mordred is able to like rise up a um an uprising while he's in the netherworld so not very efficient meanwhile Merlin's just living in a modern, quaint, British, quote-unquote, town. Just kind of, like, tooling around, puttering around, even. He, like, knows the locals, but they we don't really... They know who he is, too. Yeah. And but... they know he can use magic! Sure. I mean, so there's lots of implications for the world outside of the netherworld in this setting, too. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, what's Merlin doing? He's just, like, what, like, a shop owner in this little town? Like, why isn't he doing something to prevent Mordred from, like, uh, cursing the land with his evil uprising? I'm just saying, he has had 2,000 years to figure out a way to improve his spell for keeping Mordred in there. He's like, the spell was weak. It's like, well, can't you... Come up with something in 2,000 years? I can't be bothered. Yeah. Uh, I'll get around to it. Yeah, you know what? I know that feeling, though. Like, when I was uh, doing my master's program, uh, you know, I, 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 like, just procrastinated through to stuff. And I was like, oh, I'll get to that next time. So I know what Merlin's going through. Back yeah. in Bard College, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, did you want to mention a bit about why Mordred was charismatic? Because he chews the shit out of that scenery? He chews the shit out of that scenery. (laughs) Are you talking about the plane where I said all the farts go to? (laughs) No, I'm talking about the way that he monologues at everybody every chance he gets. Oh, he does do that. In a super gravelly voice. Oh, yeah. I feel like Mordred's voice and just kind of scenery chewing style might be the highlight of the film. Oh, okay. All right. I thought Merlin was a pretty charismatic character. Yeah? Yeah, just because he always had like a pretty shit-eating grin on his face. (laughs) This is true. He was always having a good time, I think. Our friend who we were watching the film with said that Merlin just reminded him of the comedian Bill Bailey. And I was like, oh, shit, you're so right. (laughs) That's pretty good. 
But yeah, it seemed like he was always having a good amount of fun despite the situation. Yeah, I mean, he got to ride that water slide. It's true. <laughs> he had a very cool face tattoo in fantasy settings. I'm a big fan of face tattoos. And it was white ink, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that was neat. So Merlin's a total dick because <laughs> he, uh, yeah. he, he can come and go from the netherworld but he doesn't save anybody who maybe was pulled through who is innocent, like Guinevere and Lancelot. They got pulled through to the netherworld with Mordred. Why did he send them there to... To, to stop <laughs> Mordred from, up, from rising up. And it, they did a terrible job. So they're supposed to stay there guarding him? It seems like it. Okay, that was really unclear because I thought he had just left them there. Because he can come and go from the netherworld, but he left people there like he doesn't bring people out or bring them back if it's a spell keeping mordred there why does he need people there to guard him <laughs> i mean whatever the reason is they did a terrible job yeah i mean imagine and if you will i will this is in 2000 yes Correct. Merlin. Merlin 2000 would have been another good name for the film. Merlin hiring some armed mercenaries. I'm talking guns. <laughs> and just sending them into the nether realm for like 15 minutes. Jesus Christ. They would <laughs> slaughter everybody, dude. Mordred's not a problem. Holy <laughs> shit. Just, well, I'm just going to take this nuke. I'm just going to transfer it into the nether oh world. Oh my God. Because like. Okay, even if he needed guards, two people ain't gonna fucking cut it, okay? Lancelot and Guinevere have to be doomed down there by themselves. They're not gonna do shit. They didn't do anything the entire time. He just doomed them to be hiding out in the cave so they wouldn't be killed by Mordred and his crew. Yeah, but fuck them. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. At the beginning, Guinevere... Not that cool, right? Well, she's our queen. She's our queen, right? Yeah, come on. We what? must stand. As the film progresses, though, Guinevere gets kind of hype. Yeah, I'm not oh. going to lie. I thought Guinevere was going to be like a fairly typical like damsel in distress character. I was like, oh, God, are we going to do this again? Turns out little bit of a badass. She got cooler every time we saw her on screen. It's true. Yeah. She was getting more and more metal with every scene. <laughs> totally. Dude, by the end, she looked like she was uh, like a backup singer for the band Teresa's. <laughs> yeah. Nice. She's wearing like, I mean, a ridiculous uh, like booby corset armor thing, but also like a tartan cape and like awesome fur and like leather hide armor chain and chainmail face paint yeah, yeah she had like war paint on and like a helmet and a sword and shit i was like damn guinevere this is awesome i like guinevere as a warrior it was yeah. Super yeah cool unfortunately they really underutilize her we don't get to see her in like any cool sword fights or anything then again the sword fights in this movie are not very good no so i don't know if it would make much of a difference it's no. people just flailing around because they didn't actually have a like a stunt coordinator oh they did oh no there was a sword fight coordinator oh no oh yeah really i saw it in the credits Heck oh god yeah. <laughs> I, I, you, you wouldn't doesn't show <laughs> there was one sword fight that i enjoyed sure it wasn't because of the choreography though okay it was this was no inigo montoya and no uh, no wesley this Men was yes this man in black. Why would you bring up the man in black when he, Wesley was in the? <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> yeah. 
But uh, listen to our episode on the on the Princess Bride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, the sword fight I thought that was interesting was it took place in the realm of fart, the <laughs> netherworld, okay. bog of stench. Oh. It yeah. was between Lancelot and King Arthur. Right. This is the sword fight that kind of spans the entire range of the set for the netherworld. They're like, we get built this set. We are going to use every inch of it for this sword fight. Dang. I only saw parts of this because my attention was waning by this point. Yeah. They're having, so Arthur and Lancelot get into a fight over Guinevere. Again, hashtag toxic masculinity. Yeah. But it is like one of the most character building scenes in the movie. Yeah. So why don't you talk about it, Jack? I just thought it was really interesting because Arthur is very angry about (laughs) what's going on. About his wife cheating on him with his ostensibly best friend. Yeah. And we don't normally see Arthur as the vengeful type, but in this one, he's a little less valorous, I think. A little less knightly. This Arthur is, um, they made a choice with this Arthur, I'm going to say. He's kind of a angry, belligerent lunatic. Yeah. He, who throws swords through his question mark son's chest. Yeah. Isn't Mordred usually like Arthur's illegitimate son? Yeah, with his sister. Yeah. And sometimes it's Gowan. And sometimes it's... Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes Guinevere is Merlin's daughter, and sometimes, yeah. But so this fight scene. Yeah. So this fight scene, right? Yeah, Arthur's a little bit vengeful, and he's going after Lancelot like, oh, you fucked my wife, right? Yeah. It's been a thousand years, but Arthur and the rest of the knights besides Lancelot were asleep, and they weren't aware of the passage of time. Yeah, it's true. And Lancelot is defending himself, but he's not fighting back against Arthur. Right. Good character building, though. He keeps saying, like, hey, our, we're buddies, right? Like, we're best pals. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna raise sword against you. Also, I didn't do anything wrong, because I'm in love also. Oh, and yeah, you, that was an interesting yeah. I thought that um, was interesting. Moment. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It goes back to the chivalric tradition of romantic poetry and stuff where the knight was supposed to idealize this romantic love that was supposed to be or that was somewhat revolutionary of a concept for the time yeah the idea that you can become physically ill with your love and longing for somebody or the idea that you would like the person that you're married to yeah crazy it was revolutionary yeah (laughs) yeah And so I just thought that was a really cool scene because normally you just, through the modern lens, everyone is like, oh, Lancelot's a fucker for sleeping with King Arthur's wife. It's like, he's like, hey, what am I, chop liver? I like her too. (laughs) (laughs) uh, It is a complicated relationship. Especially because he doesn't want it to ruin his friendship with Arthur. He really is asking for the best of everything. Yeah, he really wants his cake and to eat it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just saying, King Arthur, what if you and I tried to do a thing? And (laughs) Guinevere, so it's like, you know what I'm saying? You know what? That's a great point. In a modern setting, they could easily become a thruple. Yes, a polycule. (laughs) Yeah, why not? Come on, let's let's (laughs) schloff off all of these dated 
concepts about relationships and sex and just you know if if three people want to be involved like that i'm not gonna be one to tell them they can't no why you not yeah, yeah. If, they're, if they are all happy see but arthur and lancelot are still you know they probably have some some um latent affection for one another they're they're really close friends and everything maybe that's part of this weird tension yeah and they just need to turn that affection to the nether realm <laughs> You're talking about the penis at this point. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it, Arthur's penis is also named Excalibur. <laughs> and Lancelot's is just called Lanza even more. No, <laughs> yes. <laughs> more, I feel really good about that one. Yeah, that was really hype. <laughs> so I think it's about time we address the American in the room. Oh boy. Do we have to? I wasn't sure if we even needed to talk about the kids. I just I think they might be important to the film. Are they? They exist as the framing mechanism. They, <laughs> they were captured on camera and not edited out. I mean, they weren't terrible or anything. It's just like you could take them out of, and the movie would be probably better because it might be more coherent. Possibly. It was very jarring going between the scenes of Merlin and Arthur and Mordred and all their deals and how they're working against each other or together. And then going back to this B plot, which is the framing device of Richie and his mom moving to a new town and him. And we're given no reason to care about these characters. Yeah. And him palling around with his new friend, Kate. That part's fun. Yeah, but it just feels like a different movie, and it was like two movies mashed together. Yes, very much so. It was very disorienting. Yeah. Like, they try to build these emotional stakes of, like, Dr. Maxwell giving Richie the Merlin uh, magic reversal device and saying, like, if you don't use it to fight Merlin, I'm going to kill your mom. I know, it's like, cheesy Louise, isn't this a family movie? Okay, but hold on, here's the thing. Richie knows better about the the plot of this movie than the writers, it seems like, because he says, why don't you just do it and kill Merlin yourself? And Dr. Maxwell says, because I'm not a murderer. Like, this is the flimsiest fucking yeah. premise I've ever heard. Then you're not going to, I mean, are you going to kill his mom or what? I know. And yes. also, what do you mean? You're hire? oh, I'm not a murderer. I just hire assassins. Yeah. Also, I want science to be removed from morality also. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Well, you don't say stuff like that unless you have pretty nefarious ideas. Sure. She's a real loose cannon. I thought maybe Dr. Maxwell was going to be like Morgan Le Fay on Earth. And that's like the form she's taken to infiltrate the yeah. world or something like there's like it's a great point that all the like real world plot stuff could have been removed and this probably would have been a better movie. I just think it would be really funny if after she said, because I'm not a murderer, Richie was just like, oh, I see you can't be reasoned with. <laughs> <laughs> also something that just like, I find to be really wild is how <laughs> they just gloss over how 
Kate's mom is a medium. Yeah, oh yeah. And One of the most interesting subplots of the movie goes nowhere. I yeah. know. And how it's just like really in the background. But also, uh, yeah, my mom can just channel the dead, whatever. Yeah, no how big she deal. channels Mordred and he like he actually takes over her body and you can see his spirit superimposed over her body while she's channeling him and he's actually talking through her. Okay, but you know what? Maybe this maybe this belies a more uh ingenious plot than we knew when we were watching because Kate's mom's a medium. You were saying, like, nobody in town is phased that Merlin's a magician. What is this world that we're in that's just like, oh, yeah, magic? Oh, so this <laughs> isn't the this isn't a facsimile of our world. This is a, some other alternate reality. Yeah. I think Maybe so. it's just a world where, like, magic is not that uncommon. A high magic setting. Yeah. Because we live in a low magic setting. <laughs> yes, we live in a very low magic setting. Well... Richie is still surprised when he sees Merlin's staff floating and glowing. Yeah, but he's young. He hasn't seen everything. When I was his age, I hadn't seen, like, I mean, I hadn't even ridden an airplane. I was blown yeah. away when I was, like, 18 and I flew an air in an airplane for the first time. Yeah, and it's not like his mind is blown. He's just a little mystified and asking questions about it. Right, like magnets. Yeah, exactly. And anybody. He's just kind of like, how did you do that? And, um... Like, how, wh what spell was it and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, he's actually not that blown away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice spell, man. I think <laughs> that we might have a more interesting world here that is actually, like, a, like Chelsea said, a high magic setting where magic is, in a, like, something that people are aware of and it happens all around and they're just like, yeah, whatever. It Honestly, it would have been nice if they had leaned into that a little bit more because that was Absolutely. one of the more interesting things about the movie that's just kind of like, eh, it's there. In the background. Yeah. You see, that could have been so cool if Merlin got rich in the modern day by releasing like a book of cantrips. Like books of practical spell work. Right. And anybody can do it with yes. enough practice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, guys, Holy if you could shit. if you could have one D D cantrip in real life, what would it Press be? Prestidigitation. I mean, that's really good. That's really good. I mean, it's one of the most useful and diversely. You can clean applicable. anything. You can or make... soil anything. <laughs> you can make something smell or taste great. Or you can make it taste terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a really good choice. I feel like mending is a really useful oh, uh, cantrip. It is. But with prestidigitation, you could be like Jubilee, too. The most powerful of the X-Men. You could distract people with it, at least. <laughs> you can set fires with it. Oh, shit. Yeah. If you took thaumaturgy, you could make your voice three times as loud and sound like Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, my parents cast a permanent thaumaturgy on me when I was a kid. Oh. Yeah. That would explain a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think Create Water would just make you like a god. On Holy Earth. Boy, shit. we're going to need that spell before too long, am I oh right? God. Hey, Californians, shout out. Yeah, shout out. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so, guys, we're going to have to talk about the elephant in the room. And that elephant is a dragon. And by a dragon, I mean a truck. Because this movie does that thing that 
every other oh my god movie that is a fantasy that takes place in some facsimile of the real world you hurt does jack with this <laughs> and that is the scene where arthur and his knights see a truck and think that it is a dragon and they don't fucking get it the whole time they're attacking it yeah this is a um a trope i think we've seen in enchanted I believe we saw it in Just Visiting. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, I was sitting there going like, okay, it's such a hack joke. And that can be fine. But why wouldn't they just think it was a carriage? Come on. Yeah. Like, it's made of steel. It doesn't have like, I mean, like, if you saw a dinosaur, you'd be like, and you didn't know what a dinosaur was. Like, you could like be excused to be like, oh, is this like the dragon that I've heard of? Because it's a giant thing that resembles a living being. But mm-hmm. if you see something that's tube-shaped with we- spinning wheels... And, are cl- you, and clearly metal. Yeah, are you going to think that it's like a naturally occurring creature? No. Also, the much more human response, I think, is you see that and you just say... What is that? <laughs> that yeah. too. You don't yeah. have to be like, I know exactly what that thing is. I have never had context for it. <laughs> yeah. But see, that goes back to this like ingrained need to like be right of someone like Arthur, somebody in this high position in society, somebody who's you can't question the king, right? That in in the system that right. they come from, in the very rigid class system holy (laughs) is this class struggle this is class struggle (laughs) holy You're not supposed to question, you know, authority in in these Arthurian legends, okay, right? That's We're true. supposed to idolize the king, the most important person. They're like a noble leader. It's very fantastic, right? They're trustworthy. They're they're um, brave and chivalrous in these stories. It's kind of yes. like a paladin in D anD. d yeah. Kind of, yeah. Paladin of the crown. And much like paladins, a lot of them are actually huge assholes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're it's trying. But they're trying their best. <laughs> and, you know, that is kind of the failing of you know, a lot of the Arthurian stories that emphasize Arthur above other members of the court, you know, other people. And that is why a story like Gowan and the Green Knight is so much more interesting because Arthur gets pushed to the periphery. He's an important character, sure. Gowan is trying to impress the court and everything, like especially in, say, The Green Knight that we talked about two weeks ago. But at the end of the day, they are a a more grounded character. They're somebody who's not used to just everything going their way and being lionized above all else. Mm-hmm. They have to earn something. Right. And that's something that I think this film really lacked was a grounding story. And I think that's what Richie was supposed to be. I think we were supposed to have this perspective character for kind of a a entree into the world of myth and legend. But I actually think the better story to tell would have been this high magic setting where everyone's just like, oh, yeah, magic, no big deal. It's true. I like the idea of Gowan being a conspiracy theorist. 
Oh, God. We see the entitlement with the ruling class with Mordred and his subjects, too. Absolutely. Another person who, because of his lineage, feels that he has the right to rule over people. He pushes people around. He literally just, like, throws his mother to the ground all the time and treats her like shit. He murders his subordinates. Yeah. Terrible boss. Yeah. Do not, when when the job and opening pops up on your LinkedIn and it's at Mordred Co., do not take that job. And even though Especially I Especially if you're a woman. Even <laughs> though I gave him props before for hiring women as his guards, I have to take it away again. They were cannon fodder. They, they were expendable to him. Yeah. Second class citizens. For Sam, I'm going to write the BBB. Yeah. I'm just saying, if we rewrite this movie, there's a good way to do a more modern, like, morals for these medieval characters. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when we see characters from the past, like knights coming to the present. Yeah. Their old way of viewing the world is in conflict with the modern way, right? Yeah. A way you could easily get around that. Except for in just visiting. Right. <laughs> Is kind of with the characters like the medium, right? Yeah. If they channeled the Arthurian knights or in some way just got all their memories added to their own memories, they could easily just like be the new round table and like oh. take off with modern day values, but also having the experiences of the round table. That way you don't have to like have this trope we see so often of someone having like these medieval values this is it this is the rewrite for for next month i like it that'll be so interesting to like imagine these characters through this modern lens but doing it in a modern setting too yeah so i think the medium is another example of a second class citizen or oh, no. somebody who's like treated like a lower class, like by the doctor, especially. Right. Yeah. She always comes to her for her services. So she relies on this medium to communicate with her ally, right? Mordred. Yeah. And she does pay her, but she doesn't seem to care that Mordred is like sapping this woman's strength whenever he no. possesses her. And she has no regard for this woman's health and well-being. She just uses sees her as a means to an end. Yeah. And um, doesn't think of her as another human being worthy of her respect. And it's because she's in the service industry. Hmm. Good point. I never thought of uh, mediums and in that particular context, but I, so I like it. The yeah. doctor is shown to be elitist over people who are providing a service. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Movie. All the like main character of this film see themselves as better than everyone quote unquote below them. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no class awareness in these. I mean, or like if there is, it is the awareness that I'm just so much better than everyone else. Yeah. The doctor is willing to sacrifice Richie and his mom for her goals. And uh, it's unclear what those goals even are, except to do science. <laughs> blada, blada, evil science. I mean, it's just mad science. You know, classic. I guess so. She's evil because she works for the bad guys. And she works for the bad guys because she's evil. But so the message in this is that the elite see other people as expendable. Yeah. And as below them. And Arthur does, too. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
often that is the way people get treated IRL too. Yeah. Mm. All right, guys, we've said enough about this movie, possibly too much. <laughs> Why don't we head to the Smithy? Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this film after we each share an epic moment or feature from the movie. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from one to ten earthquake resonation devices? Oh, yes. My epic moment, definitely, I already mentioned it and talked about it, is probably the sword fight between Arthur and Lancelot. Yeah. I'm just a big fan of that whole situation. I think romantic conflict is a difficult thing, and I just like to see that playing out between two guys uh, who, like, want to maintain... One, at least one of them wants to maintain that friendship. I mean, they were really moving around the whole set and actually using parts of the set in the fight, right? It's true. Yeah. I also like the idea that Lancelot is the... You could perceive him as the offender in the situation. <laughs> yes. But... He wasn't willing to fight. I thought that was really interesting because a lot of how we would perceive that is he's slighting Arthur, but he's not willing to fight Arthur. Right. I think that's really cool. I just, uh, I thought that was a really interesting scene. It made me think like Lancelot, you son of a bitch, it's, but I can't be mad at him. <laughs> right? It's certainly one of the only scenes with character development in the entire yes. film. It showed an interesting kind of chivalry from Lancelot, I think. Yeah. Even though we, he made maybe a mistake, it depends how you view that situation. He still was trying to be chivalrous and valorous. I thought that was cool. All right. You, a character with a lot of flaws still trying to live up to that ideal of being a knight. I liked that. People can grow. It remind, Well, they do it in the Green Knight, right? Lots of character flaws, but trying to be something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think put, you know, the willingness is still worth something. So I liked that sword fight a lot. Cool. Yeah. All in all, though, <laughs> this movie, uh, it didn't do a lot for me most of the time. And sometimes it hurt me. <laughs> but sometimes I thought it was fun. Merlin was fun. And, uh... I, I've, I've seen this now. This, this is the second time we watch this. I'm so sorry. I fell asleep a little this time. <laughs> but it wasn't Christmas Train. Three out of ten earthquake guns. <laughs> that is a completely fair sentence. Yeah, we do have to measure all of our ratings off of that movie. How do bad we? it was. Do we? We just have to keep it in mind. Must we? <laughs> I believe me. The Polar Express is always in the back of my mind, leeching away my sanity slowly. Just like this movie will be, because we're cursed now. All right, Chelsea, how about you? What's your epic moment or feature and your rating from 1 to 10 Earthquake Guns? Okay, so my epic feature is... Most of the actors in this movie. Oh, Yay! Because I know that we criticized it. We did? But <laughs> they were actually acting up a storm, 
And I could imagine it being a really engaging, like, performance at a Renaissance fair or something. Yeah. And, like, they had a camp and everything. It felt like they were, like, just tooling around a Renaissance fair part of the time. And uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for that since Jamie and I worked uh, a booth at the Ren Fair for two years. And um, so... Yeah, they they were giving it their all. Most Definitely. of most of them. Yeah, you're right. And I want to give them credit where credits due. Yay! So that's very fair of you. They get yes. they get the props. Awesome. It's, it's not their fault. There was no script. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the script was in the netherworld. <laughs> and uh, actually, they're like the some of the settings and props were pretty cool in the movie too. So it How was about like, that Stonehenge right there in the middle of the forest? Yeah. <laughs> you know where Stonehenge is? Yeah, in the forest. Yeah. I'm going to give this three out of ten earthquake guns as well. Maybe it's more than it deserves, <laughs> oh. but it was a movie. <laughs> you know what? That is 100% an accurate statement. Yeah. I need the listeners... All of you right now to be made aware once again that this was made in the 2000s. If you see this, I think it's okay to be upset about that fact. (laughs) I thought this movie was made in the 80s. (laughs) The film quality would uh, indicate something along those lines. Oh, oh, yeah, but what about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment or feature and your rating out of 1 to 10 earthquake guns? Yeah, tell us. Well, I'm glad you guys asked. My epic moment is going to be the ghost scene. Oh. I love those cheesy, ridiculous CGI ghosts that come out about halfway through the movie and start possessing people in the town. They had partial skeletons. They had partial skeletons. Mm -hmm. They were, I would say, the PS2 models for spooky (laughs) ghosts with skeleton bodies. They moved in a very rigid way. But here's the thing. There's a moment where oh my god when the right. ghosts are flying around doing their spooky stuff spooking as it were yeah possessing bodies but one of them turns to the camera mhm and gives the audience a look like hey guys it's me you're all, you're actually watching me do this i'm aware of you as an audience and watch me go possess this person over here and they're like shh Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, what is happening with this fourth wall breaking? (laughs) Yeah. Are we supposed to be like immersed in a stage play here? Like, what is the logic of this Deadpool ghost? Well, yeah, it did. Winking at us. Like I was saying, it did feel kind of like a play or something at a Renaissance fair. Yeah. So. So there's your audience participation. Yeah. Well, that means for the rewrite, we have to have Blackmore's Night doing the music oh for the film. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. How perfect would that be? Yeah. You're right. I totally forgot about this scene, Jamie. Yeah. Looking it at goes the for fun. Those, you know, and they made me think of the PlayStation 2, which was a great system, because that's about how good the graphics looked for the CGI. 
But yeah, when they, when the ghost broke the fourth wall like that, my mind shattered. <laughs> and I began questioning everything about the film. And your life. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, this movie definitely made me question the choices I made in my life. <laughs> that ghost made us all grow as people. But now you're going to force me to give a numeric yeah. score What's from your 1 to 10 earthquake guns. And this is possibly the hardest rating I've ever had to give. I legitimately don't know how to feel about this movie. This movie disoriented me so much. I don't know if I was already thinking of giving it about a three or if you guys just swayed me to it. I don't know if it deserves that rating. I don't know if it deserves more for being unintentionally genius. I don't know if it deserves less for being just completely disorienting and disjointed. Incoherent or lacking coherence, I should say. Right. Yeah, it's not even incoherent. Like, that could be fun. Right. It just, the, the there's very little continuity between shots and moments. I think I'm just going to slot in with you guys and say this is three out of ten earthquake guns. It's yeah. not very good. There's some shining moments that are fun. But for the most part, I think if you're not just a complete hardcore fantasy fan there's very little here for you yeah it's a lot of fun to you know watch with buddies and maybe uh riff on it a bit but other than that that helps me keep my sanity (laughs) other than that i don't think it has much going in for it so i think it's three across the board yeah and on that note, I think this will do it for us here at Swords and Satire. As always, we'd like to thank you for joining us for another hopefully rousing episode. If you enjoyed this, maybe give us a follow on social media at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can keep up with the show, check out what we're watching next, and see a few memes that I make for every film. And as we mentioned before, you can... If you have the means, you can support our show on patreon.com slash swords and satire. Not only can you vote on the movies that we watch every month, but you get exclusive content like different types of outtakes episodes and rewriting history episodes and cool pictures and stuff. Very true. But if you don't have a few coins to send to your favorite podcasters, Feel free to abandon all ethics and make an AI that will just exist for the purpose of going around playing your favorite podcasts for all who pass by. Science and morality. That sounds like a great best friend. (laughs) I think so. But uh, we do want to thank you all for listening and uh, supporting us in any way that you can. That's right. Uh, We've had a few shout outs recently from our fans on social media, and we really appreciate it. Yay. It's it's so fun and gratifying to see that. And um, some recent reviews, too, have been really nice. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, we love hearing from you guys, and we're always uh, happy to answer any questions you might have or just chat about your favorite fantasy stuff. Yeah. Movies, games, books. Give us your hot takes. Please. We crave those hot, hot takes. Yeah, and recommendations, too. Tell us something you think really needs a a good old breakdown. (laughs) But until next time, 
Hail Crom! Hail Crom!